Welcome to the Mystic Access Podcast, where the magic is in learning. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mystic Access Podcast. She's Kim. He's Chris. And we have one major announcement, and then we're going to step into the castle. Yes, indeed. And before we go any further, let me remind you that today is March 10th. 2020, the date of the podcast. We want to get a little better about trying to remember to let you guys know which podcast is which to make it easier for you to know if you've actually listened to this episode. So we're going to have to get a little better about that as well. So today is March 10th's episode. Now we're going to tell you about something else that's happening in March. We're going to have our free class. And our free class for March, we're going to talk about and demonstrate Lisi. This is a group of scripts written by Brian Harjan from Harjan Consultancy. And you have to have the JAWS screen reader in order to use them, but they add lots and lots of features and functionality to your computer. For example, I can press a couple of convenient keys to cut text or to copy text. I can also press a couple of convenient keys to get the date or the time. Sometimes, at least for me, it's a little hard to do insert F12 to get the time and then insert F12 twice to get the date. With Lisi, I can press what they call the Lisi key and then press either the up arrow or the down arrow. Up arrow will give you the date and down arrow will give you the time. So it's a really, really fast way to get the date and the time. And it does a heck of a lot more than that. If you are a computer beginner, if you are someone who just does not like your computer, there are a couple different flavors of Lisi that we're also going to be discussing in the course of this conversation. Brian isn't going to be joining us live, but he is going to give us a little presentation that he's making for us that we're going to be sharing in the class. So if you have questions that we can't answer after class, we will be happy to refer you to the Hartgen Consultancy website and to Lisi Central, which is a portion of their site, where you can read Lisi documentation, try out a demo, and listen to more Lisi audio documentation. So this class will be the last Thursday of March, March 26th, 2020, at 8.30 p.m. And the usual applies. If you want to be notified about the event and the information used to connect to the event, you'll need to be on our events mailing list. And you can do that from mysticaccess.com. Absolutely. We don't usually have a lot of classes with special guests, but the ones we do have are very fun. We hope you will come learn more from Brian's presentation about Lisi and learn more about how this really cool software can make your user experience a heck of a lot more fun and convenient. I have a question for you. What's that? Do you like making calls? Making calls? When I do like to make calls, I want it to be easy and convenient and kind of fun. Okay. So how can you make calls that are easy, convenient, and kind of fun? Well, you tell me because I think you already know that there's a very fun way that we can offer to our clients and customers that is easy, convenient, and fun. It is the Blind Shell cell phone. We are now proud distributors of the Blind Shell cell phone. A couple of podcasts ago, we demonstrated the blind shell. We also did our February class on the blind shell. When we did our original podcast, we weren't sure if we were going to be distributing the phone, but we are now distributing the phone. 
You can find out more on our website and the phone itself is in the shop. But if you're not sure if the phone is for you, you can go to our free downloads page and download a six hour audio tutorial on the phone. He did say six hour audio tutorial about the phone. There's not much in there that you would want to do with a phone that is not covered in this tutorial. Although, admittedly, I can already think of two things that I wish were in it that are not. But when we update it, I will rectify that situation. It's really fun. Chris and I did it together, a great deal of it together. It just turned out to be a really fun project to do. So you can essentially try before you buy by listening to this tutorial. And, of course, we understand that purchasing a new piece of hardware is an investment, and we want to make sure we've answered all your questions. So if you listen to the six-hour tutorial and you still have questions, give us a call. We would love to talk to you. We can demo anything in the phone that you want to make sure will work for you. So please give it a listen. See if you think it will work for you. And we would love to send you one of these cool Blind Shell Classic phones. You can get it in either black or red. And it has a really nice pebble leather case that you can also purchase. It's a separate purchase and it will protect your phone. We are the only dealer that I know of that has a really cool add-on package that will allow you to have your SIM card pre-installed into the phone. And once you get the phone, we can set up service for you. And service is either on the AT&T or T-Mobile network. There are also lots of MVNO networks that use AT&T and T-Mobile. We will set up your SIM using a specific MVNO called Net10 currently and this will save you a little money because your cheapest plan is $20 a month plus taxes and fees so it's about 23 or 24 dollars a month and it comes with one gigabyte of data and unlimited texts and calls so it's a pretty good deal and if you don't want that sent to you you want to do your own you want to go to AT&T or T-Mobile or wherever you want to go that's fine as well but it's just an option it's just an option it's $19, and we will install your SIM card and put you on Net10 once you get your phone. So if that's an option you want, feel free to add that when placing your order or give us a call. We're happy to place the order for you, and you can learn more about the phone on the website. And now we're going to travel into the Mystic Axis Magic Castle, and we're going to meet a guest. Welcome to the Mystic Access Magic Castle. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Mystic Axis Magic Castle. We have a surprise guest with us, and we are going to talk about her journey on becoming blind. For us, when we first started talking to her about her journey, we were very, very impressed because she's just kind of a go, go, go get them type of person. She's recently blind. She's only been blind for about two years, if I remember correctly. And we started mm-hmm. working with her about six months or so after she became blind. So I believe you weren't even back to work at the time when we started working with you. Her name is... Elizabeth Lamb. But you can call me Liz. I can Yay! call you Liz. Okay, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> One syllable works One for me. Syllable. Five less. That's my motto. There you go. There you go. Awesome. If we were standing and we were meeting for the first time, what would you want <laughs> me to know? Hi, my name is Liz. I do work. I've been with a company that I work for for 15 and a half years. I got to get that half in there because every day, every week counts. So 15 and a half years I've been with this company that I work for. 
I have two adorable cats. They are nine years old. They're actually twins. So Caitlin, she's my Hello Kitty cat. She's white. She looks like Hello Kitty. And her sister, who's adorable, is the opposite of her, black and white. And her name's Gia. Gia has a mustache. And so people call her Kitler, which I think, <laughs> I don't care for that term. Endearment. Kitler. But because she has a mustache, people tend to migrate to her because she's just adorable. So is Caitlin. But that's basically it about me. I'm single. I actually was dating someone and we decided to become friends as of February 1st. So Kim, that's why I was curious about your book. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not sure if I want to go back out into the dating world because it's different now that I'm blind. The breakup was really easy if we even want to call it a breakup because we still talk to each other. It was the most amicable relationship breakup, if you will, or how would you say an amicable agreement? Would that yeah, be the correct term? An amicable parting, maybe? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I'm a big believer in that is why do we have to fight? Why do we have to have yep. drama? Yep. You know, there's, it's unnecessary. But we all know when we get emotions involved, things go crazy. My father lives with me. My father's very interesting. He is 93 years old. In fact, this year on his birthday, which is January 25th, it was his birthday and it was also Chinese New Year, which is big because my father is Chinese. So we had a great birthday on the 25th. We had family come. It was wonderful. So with my father, I mean, it was just a great day for him. His children were there, my brother and I, his granddaughter, his great grandchildren. It was fantastic. It was one of the best days I've had in a long time because it incorporated family and there's nothing but love <laughs> and it's funny because i'll watch the great-grandchildren fight and it's adorable because they're just so cute about it because there's love and then there's sissy stop you know you know yep. i don't know what sissy is doing but it was adorable so my father's a world war ii vet that's what's amazing about him and he's 93 that's what that's what's all that's what's also amazing about him and he is healthy he is not going anywhere I'm telling you, this man's going to live over well over 100 years old. That's awesome. Yeah. Especially for his service to the country. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And he was 13 out of 14 kids, and he has one sister. Yeah, so everyone's passed on except for his one sister. Yeah, so he and Mabel, on my mother's side, my mother was four out of six kids. So I grew up in a huge, huge family. I'm not kidding. We would go to San Francisco, California, every other weekend because that's where most of my relatives were. Every other weekend we traveled to San Francisco because there was always some kind of what I call function, a birthday, an anniversary, a graduation, a birth, or just a visit. (laughs) Well, with that size family, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And the weddings were amazing because we always had huge banquets especially when someone got married, because that was a big thing. Oh, they're married, blah, blah. They're going to multiply more kids like rabbits, you know? (laughs) You know, it's huge. And so I remember, like, we would take our friends to the banquet because they were just in awe because it was so big. And you would have nonstop Chinese food, like courses and courses of courses of Chinese food. So both of my parents are Chinese. I'm Chinese. I'm half Chinese and half Mexican because I'm adopted. So my brother and I were both adopted. My brother is three years older than I am, so we don't come from the same family. My brother and I both come from different biological parents, but he's my brother. I'm so pro-adoption in a sense of there isn't really a gap. So 
some people feel that there's a gap. Oh, you're adopted. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I look at my father and I don't feel any different. He's my father. Sure. I don't, you know, and I've never really had the need to search out for my biological parents because I don't feel like there's a gap. There's a love. But what, this is what's interesting. My friend for Christmas gave me an Ancestry 23, one of those mm-hmm. DNA oh, things. Oh, yeah, cool. I did that. So we're still waiting for the results because now I'm curious. I'm just curious. I must have brothers and sisters out there because my parents were really young when I was born and then they gave me up for adoption. So now I'm just kind of curious to see what kind of families out there genetically. Yeah. And, you know, maybe my father and mother are still alive and if they're willing to meet me, I would love to meet them. But I'm very open to if they do not because it was a closed adoption. So maybe I'll circle back for another interview. <laughs> you there you go. You can let us happens. all know what happens. <laughs> Part two. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> now, I asked Liz to talk about this and just share a little bit about if we met and we were standing there together, what kind of stuff would she share? What kind of stuff would she want me to know? We're all out there living our lives, having our journeys. The difference in us and everybody else is the blindness. And how we respond, react, and choose to deal with that. That's a little bit about what this story is all about. But I wanted Liz to share a little bit. Well, who is Liz? Who are you? Where did you come from? And how does your life feel? (laughs) Clearly, there was a lot of love and a lot of food and family and all of enjoyment. Oh, yeah. God, there was too much food. (laughs) (laughs) Tell you. I have to say, I applaud my father is the hardest working man I ever met. And it's interesting because we're not genetically mm-hmm. connected, but that is how he taught us. And that is who I am today is a workhorse. People refer to me as a workhorse. So when I get into the story of losing my sight, it's why I had to come back to work because that was who I was, a workhorse. It was like an identity because if I didn't work, how do I live? So it was important amongst other things. So let's talk a little bit about you before your blindness and the day that you became blind. How did you feel? Well, I was mentioned before I lost my sight, which was just under two years ago. March 3rd, 2018 is when I lost my sight. So we're looking just around the corner at the two-year point. So by the time this airs, it will be two years. You know what? I was a very active as far as a workhorse. I've always been... I don't want to say workaholic, but I've always been a work professional to the extent of where I was always running, 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 running. At one point, I used to work two jobs because that's just basically all I knew. And again, it's a positive dynamic, if you will, that I gained from my father of, you know, be productive, stay busy. But I have to say that I was running in circles. I was just running, 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 running. Was I building anything? I mean, I didn't even stop to get married and have kids. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I just kept running and running and working and working. And it's not like I have a mansion or, or Rolls Royces. It was a circle that I was running in and it impacted my health. Eventually, I became diabetic. Because you know how there has to be a balance in life, right? Work, personal, health, yep. love. Right. I was so unbalanced. (laughs) I was like that seesaw, right? Where you're just not balanced. So at any rate, I was diabetic and I would manage it. But let's be honest, I didn't manage it well at first. So when I did start managing it, I think it was too late because on February 28th, 2018, that is when I woke up with the excruciating headache. It was bad where it affected my eyes. 
And I thought, oh, gosh, I have a migraine. I never had a migraine. I just know friends that have migraines. Everything was equated to a migraine. And so I took some Motrin, ibuprofen, and went to work, right? Because that's what we do. And three days later, March 3rd, I woke up blind. Could you see anything or was it? Nothing. Nothing. I was dark. Yeah, my eyes had hemorrhaged. I was dark. Neurovascular glaucoma. So this disease took me down visually in three days, visually. Now, things were happening behind the scenes, but that was unbeknownst to me. I mean, I felt fine except for having a little bit of a headache, you know, after a couple days, after that first day. But it was the pressure from the glaucoma. So think of a tire that's full of air and you keep pumping air and eventually something's going to pop. And that's what happened. My optic nerves were on fire, as they would refer to. But I had no idea that was happening. I had a glaucoma check two months prior to me losing my sight. My body felt fine. I was managing my glucose, but the horses were already off and running and we didn't know that. So when I saw the eye doctor on the 5th, he said it was the most rapid emergent case he's ever seen his entire career. And this man was like in his 60s. This man had great grandchildren. So he's been an eye doctor, a specialist for decades, and he's never seen anything that emergent. So from March 5th to May 11th, I had a series of eye surgeries, which consisted of three eye injections, five laser surgeries, and two eye surgeries where they put a tube in each of my eye to help release the pressure. The pressure was not releasing. I forget what that's called, but I had that too, the tube. My glaucoma, for me at least, I was always a high partial, and the majority of my sight I lost in my fourth grade year of school. Mm. And it started probably in the fall. And by June, I would be using a white cane and learning Braille and stuff like that. So like you said, yours was much, much faster faster. than mine. Absolutely. Oh, it was rapid. Oh, yeah, definitely. He was a baby, fourth grade. I just just want to hug you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not fourth grade anymore. No. Oh, okay. Okay, that means no hug. No hug for you, Miss Lynn. <laughs> so you just lost your hug. Oh. You weren't supposed to go there. <laughs> that, you lost an opportunity for a hug? Shame, shame. So funny. So all this is going on for you. You're having these surgeries. What's happening emotionally? What are you even... I can't even put my head around. You oh wake my up goodness. blind. What is going on in there? Well, can I tell you, the day I woke up blind, I... Oh, I can't even explain what was running through my head. I was stumped. I was angry. I was bewildered. All emotions were going through my head. Like, what the heck happened? And I remember walking out to the dining room table and I said, Dad, I I can't see. And my dad being 91 at the time and goofy, he said, oh, just wash your eyes out with a cloth. You'll be fine. And I'm like, okay, I did that just to do it. I knew it wasn't going to work. And then I sat back down in my recliner. I'm going to be honest with you. I knew something happened. I didn't think that I could see again. I, I don't know. It was like innate. And I sat down in the chair and I froze. And when I tell my story to other people, they ask, why didn't you call 911, 411, call a friend? I was scared. I was actually petrified. I couldn't move. (laughs) 
And I sat in that chair until I fell asleep. And I think I was in denial, to be honest with you. I didn't want to face the facts that the prognosis is, you know, Miss Lamb, you're blind. I didn't want to face the facts, but I knew something dramatic happened. So the next day when I woke up, I kept my eyes closed and I told myself, you need to prepare yourself that you may not see. If you can see, wonderful. And if you can't, you need to prepare yourself. And I opened my eyes and I was still blind. And it was the ambiguity that was killing me because you're looking at someone who's a work professional. I plan things, I organize. And at this point, I didn't know what my life path was going to be because I'm blind. But I refused to sit in that chair another day. I sat in that chair for 24 hours. And I told myself, you need to get up, you need to get going, you need to get moving. You don't know what your path is, but you have to go. And that's when I went to the eye doctor the next day, and that's where things started rolling. And I've been on survival mode. (laughs) I think I just ended my survival mode. I don't know. But I've been on survival mode for about two years, and that's what kept me going. And it was hard. There were times where I would tear, but I wouldn't let myself cry. It was on May 11th, 2018, is when the doctors told me that they've gone as far as they could go, and whatever sight they were able to retrieve was it. And at that point, I could see light and maybe the color yellow or the color red, but that was it. And I let them know, but I can't see. And they said, well, we understand. I said, I can't see, (laughs) you know, but... You know, in retrospect, I think back and maybe my my response should have been, how do I live? Because when I woke up, I was still bumping into walls, right? You know, how do I know my socks match? How do I quit hurting myself because I kept bumping into everything? (laughs) I felt dismissed. And that's why I'm glad we're doing this interview because I want to raise the awareness that even though there's a disability, there are organizations and people who can help us go back to becoming full force or becoming a full-force person. Just because we have a disability doesn't mean we still can't live a very fulfilling life. So we do things a little differently, but don't we all do things a little differently? I mean, that's the best about living is our creativeness. So you have this experience. You had this sudden traumatic thing that has just turned your world upside down. And you mentioned starting out that you had this big, loving, huge family with all these dinners and connections and weddings and things. So I would assume and guess that you had a support system that really bolstered you during this period. Well, through my doctor's appointments, yeah. And I have to say, I have really good friendships. As much as, you know, my awesome family, they live in San Francisco or the Bay Area, I have to say I've been really blessed with friendships. And it was one of my best friends whose sister is blind, who lives in Santa Barbara, California. That's Southern California. I'm in Northern California. But she's blind, and she recommended the Department of Rehab. And it was of the state of California. And it was the Department of Rehab who referred me to the Society for the Blind. And let me tell you, that is when my life changed is when I met the people at Society for the Blind in Sacramento, California. I do not work for Society for the Blind. Society of the Blind is an organization that helped me learn how to relive and become independent with my blindness. I had to start from ground zero, seriously. 
even something as simple as how do I brush my teeth? Well, I kept, how do you get the tube, the, you know, the whole visual thing yes. going on. Yep. Here's my toothpaste on my toothbrush. Now what do I do? I can't see my toothbrush or my toothpaste, <laughs> you know? How to make a pot, pot of coffee. Oh my gosh, I love coffee. I had to relearn that. I learned some Braille. The technology was a huge piece for me. All of their instructors are either partially blind or just completely blind. And it's amazing. I mean, because, you know, being newly blind, there are some, I mean, you're not as educated. And so when you hear a blind instructor just fly up and down the stairs, you're like, what? How'd that happen? You know you know what I'm saying? Or you think people are blind and they're going to run into each other when they're walking the hallways. You know, it's amazing how orderly this organization is, how helpful. And they saved my life to be honest with you. And I'm not saying that to be dramatic because I didn't know how to live. I had my surgeries. I would go home and sit on the couch and they saved my life. They helped rebuild me, if you will. Not to sound like the bionic woman or the $6 million man, but that's what they do. (laughs) They teach you how to live. It's almost that they were role models for you as well. Yes. When I was younger and I went to camp, summer camp, I remember one of the things that they did for me, I was newly blind as well. They paired me up with a blind counselor. And, Uh you know, here I am like 10 years old, 12 years old, something like that. And this blind counselor was like 20. And I thought, you know, wow, what a cool thing that you can do all this stuff. Here you are, Mm -hmm. you're going out in the woods by your, you know, by yourself or whatever, you know, your way around. That kind of thing just totally blew my mind how do you do this stuff? And they were role models for me as well. Yes, exactly. They teach us how to live independently. Yes. I think the piece that, you know, if I ever have to take this with me spiritually, it's the part of how they comfort us. Like they comfort and teach. Sometimes they don't even know that they're doing it. Yeah. I keep in touch with my tech instructor. He and I are technically done with our lessons, right? So the department of rehab, they don't want to issue any more lessons, which is interesting because we can all use ongoing lessons, yep. right? Yep. Just because we're done doesn't mean we're completely done. But I keep in touch with him and I had asked him, did I at one point drive you completely nuts? And he said, yes, <laughs> <laughs> because I drove him to madness <laughs> because I was determined to get so much done in little time. But let me tell you, he supported me. When I walked into Society for the Blind, I'm be honest with you, I was a mess. I didn't think I was a mess. It's like looking back retrospectively, I'm like, oh my God, I was a mess. I mean, I had a broken wing. I walked into that building with a broken wing and they cured me. My instructor's name is Randy Owen for Society for the Blind. He had said that I made him a better instructor, a better teacher. And I told him he made me a better person because that's what happened. That's the dynamics between us. That's what happened. And Society for the Blind, that's how the instructors are. They're mentors. They don't just teach us the technical skills, you know, Braille, living skills, tech. They become our mentors. And I would have to say also like life coaches, because it's more than just teaching the technical part. It's teaching you how to live, relive. You know, they bond with us. And I just find that very unique. Instead of, okay, Missy, go, go on your way. You're done. Fly, be free. (laughs) You know, there's a connection that we take with us. May it be spiritual or, you know, a friendship. It's amazing. I'm a different person. 
this has happened to you, you're building support systems, you already have great support systems in place in the form of your friendships, you've got family in the Bay Area, you've got people who know you're going through this, you're having this experience. What was the attitude or response of your nearest and dearest when this happened to you? How are they reacting to all this? Shock was number one, right? Worry was like, okay, what is she going to do with herself? Because they, everyone knew I was a workhorse. Concern, sorrow, because I lost my sight. And there was a few people that, oh, let me tell you, when I told them that I'm not living like this, I'm going to go back and learn how to relive. Especially when I heard about Society for the Blind, I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go back and relive. And a lot of people were like, you go, girl, you know, or you right on, Liz. You know, they were so supportive. Not shocked that I would have that type of dynamic, but they were shocked that maybe can a blind person do this, right? So I've taught them that, yeah, yeah, a blind person can do this. A blind person can go back and relive or live their life, go back full force. I have to say I was really blessed because there was a plethora of people that converged over me, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, strangers. I know we're taught stranger danger, but it was amazing how strangers would reach out to me with their kindness. And coworkers, you know, Society for the Blind, my work. But let me tell you, there was a lot of encouragement. And if there was any discouragement, I didn't hear about it, which I wouldn't want to hear about it because I'm very positive or trying to remain very positive. I mean, there are some times where, you know, I got a little negative, but that's life. But I'll never forget the day that I did go back to work and I'm walking in with my cane and there's this person that I recognize her voice, right? And she said, Liz? And this person's a manager for one of the departments. I said, yeah. And there was silence. And she said, you go, girl. And then she walked off. I mean, that's the only thing that she could say. You go, girl. So I feel that I'm motivating others. Because their perspective is, oh my gosh, she's blind. How does she get up in the morning, I imagine is the question, and let alone get dressed, go to work, come to work. And I've had people tell me that I motivate them. You know, here they have all five senses, right? And they just can't get to work. And then here they see me walking and they're like, oh man, I got to get with it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have to tell you that you go girl. It was encouraging. Mm -hmm. Those three words and how she said it. Yep. Because I was a little, a smidge intimidated walking into that building. Sure. It was the first time back. And for her to give me that encouragement, it just pushed me down my path further. Yep. You know, my journey. And I'm telling you, that was amazing when she did that. <laughs> it was amazing. A little bit of sunshine goes a long yes. way. Yes. It really does. So can you imagine if you get a lot of sunshine? Oh, my gosh. The world is yours. When I was younger, you're talking about the different senses. When I was in high school, I remember walking up the stairs, and I was walking with a friend of mine at the time. And I said to this friend, I said, Sean, I said, there's somebody coming up behind us. And he goes, he turns, he looks, he goes, how did you know? I said, the same way you would have if you used your ears. You don't think. They don't think past their sight. Right. They're using these other senses but they don't realize that they're using all these other senses. Because if he hears something, he's going to turn around and he's going to look and see where they're coming from. Exactly. Yes. And let me tell you, you both know the visual sense 
I think is the, if we had a hierarchy of senses, I would think the vision's on top. Yes. Yep. And having that disappear, oh my goodness. It's not only discombobulating, it's just difficult. The transition was difficult. So I'm not saying I had an easy time. It was tough. And I was really tough on my instructor, Randy Owen. But you know what? He's a good man. He was patient. He was compassionate. He was due diligent. He had perseverance because there were times where I was just difficult because I was still in denial. When we were doing the tech lessons, it was hard for me to adjust just to a computer talking to me in this robot voice and learning, relearning the keyboards. And then not only relearning the keyboard, all of our functions that we would use on a mouse are now on a keyboard. So you're talking to someone who used to have two monitors and a mouse using visual acuity, and that's now shut down. It was a hard transition. So I wasn't easy. <laughs> and I applaud Randy for just sticking it out with me, if you will, because he knew his goal was to teach me. And I didn't make it easy, but here we are. <laughs> he, he did it, <laughs> which I had no doubt because I trust this individual. I would trust this person with my life. That's the bond that he and I had builded together, if you will, for lack of a better word. But that's the bond that we created because through working together for a year and a half, it's the whole trust. And again, I trust this man like you would not believe. You know, I came into society with a broken wing and he fixed me, if that makes sense. He cured me. So it's just not the technology piece that he cured. It was the human being piece that he cured. And I became a better person because of him. I became a better person because of Society for the Blind. I think number one is finding out how to get help because Again, when I woke up blind, I only knew of 911, 411, and 211, right? I never knew about Society for the Blind. I didn't know there were organizations out there that could help me. And it's about not just the cure. It's also the mental part, the mental piece that needs curing, if you will. Before we go on to question number next, I want to go back to something you said a second ago, because I think it's very important, and I might anger some people by saying this. You were talking about how you going in, going to work, getting up, starting your day, going into the office, was motivating other people. And here's my thing. I believe that as a person with whatever your disability is, when you are out there in the world, you may not want to be, you may not think about it, but you are representing and you are influencing other people by your behavior, by your attitudes, by what you're doing, by what you're not doing. People look at that and they may be thinking, oh, well, she's acting this way because she's blind or she's not doing X because she's blind or on the other end of the spectrum, she's blind and she's doing X, Y, and Z. That is amazing. I need to get myself together and be doing more. You're always influencing. You're always representing whatever that thing is that is different about you. And it's not just disability. It's all these different things. We all have these differences, as Liz was saying earlier. You know, we all have something. People don't think about consciously judging anybody about any of this, but we're always having thoughts. We're always thinking. So you owe it to yourself and to the people around you and to the people you interact with and come in contact with every day to show up and be the best you you can be. And if that is transitional you, that's great. 
But I think you have an opportunity to show up and stand on your own two feet and do the best you can do because people are looking at that and taking that in and judging that, not necessarily in a negative way, but they are thinking about that, affecting their opinions and their thought processes on your blindness. Right, right, right. And I think one of the biggest fears, even if you have all five or six senses, is what people think about you. Yep. You know what? I've never, you know, eventually, I mean, when you're younger, that's a big thing. Oh, no, so they're looking at me, right? But that is something that I've I've learned to drop. And maybe that's what's helped me. I really don't care what people think. (laughs) And maybe that's been my problem, (laughs) you know, because in the past, I tend to be abrasive and insensitive. But you can't care what people think in that sense. So, you know, oh, I don't want to walk outside because people can say, oh, there's that blind person. You can't think like that. Or if you want to think like that, turn it around. Oh, hey, there's that blind person, right? Just to let you know, what I do for a living, I train. I train the visual, which Randy gets a kick out of that because I'm training the visual. I train. And right off the bat, I talk about my blindness because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable because I don't want them thinking, oh my gosh, my trainer's blind. I want them thinking, oh wow, my trainer's blind. You know, I want them to get a kick out of that. So, you know, because this is, and I don't like calling it a disability because I think we've tainted that word, if you will, because people think disability, that, oh, you, you can't do anything. Yes, we can. We all can, right? It's about, so if you can't see, okay, well, there's other ways of doing matters, right? Again, bringing in that creativeness or the workaround. But you're right, Kim, exactly what you said. You're absolutely correct. If those who have lost their sight or they've been blind, I just implore you to just take on a task or a goal. It's never too late. It is never too late to start shifting or start a new goal or career. You know, in our lifetime, doctors become lawyers and lawyers become doctors, right? They change careers. We can still do that. So if anyone is scared or fearful, you know, I would recommend going to a strong support system. And even though in California, I'm telling you, get a hold of Society for the Blind or Chris and Kim at Mystic Access. They'll support you. They'll help you. So I definitely want both Society and Mystic Access recognized because there's one thing that I've learned is sometimes we can't do it alone. Sometimes we're going to need that help. And it's okay. You're talking to someone who didn't want help. I never wanted help. I could do it myself. I'm a very independent person. Too independent where I will sometimes, I crushed people, if that makes sense. It does. And that's not what life's about. Life is about loving, caring relationships. And so if someone has to help me out, okay, wonderful. Love it. You know, if you think about it, though, we're all dependent on something, somebody. Something. Yeah. Every single person that's walking the face of the earth is dependent on something, no matter what it is. Right. And it's okay. I would implore Everyone, anyone, reach out to society, reach out to Mystic Access. We're here to help. And that is my goal is to help. Because I'm a strong individual, I'm able to do that, spread my wings and help and take someone with me and say, okay, we're going to do this together. And that's important. It's important to know that you're not alone out there. There are other people who have experienced your journey or some similar piece to your journey, and they're conquering the world. And they're out there and they're rebuilding. And they're figuring things out in this new way. Yeah, I agree. Do you think there's anything that you would have done differently really early in that transitional stage? Well, 
I could have been nicer. (laughs) 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 But with that said, it was because of how I was driven is what helped me get back to work in an expeditious time frame. So, again, I have to say, I could have said please and thank you more. (laughs) But other than that, no, because it was the drive. It was the drive that put me in this position where I'm in now. I'm back in my training position and I have other goals now. I want to work my way up, you know, through the company. And that's another thing which is wonderful is just because they got me back in my job, which is fantastic. So it doesn't mean we have to stay where we're at. I started with Society for the Blind on June 1st, 2018. I went back to work October 16th, 2018. So I had a goal of, I went to the director and said, I need to do this in three months which was a crazy thought process. But can I tell you what he said? We can do this. So there was nothing but support and motivation and out-of-the-box thinking on how to get this driven woman back to work in three months. But it was because of that tenacity is what helped me drive my instructor. But then it was the instructor who helped me, you know, with my goal. And he was compassionate. He was also driven to do this. I have to say that with Society for the Blind, their instructors, they're not only teachers, they're mentors and they're life coaches. With working with Randy for a year and a half, during the duration of his lessons, he became my mentor. There were times where I came across some really hard situations because they're real live work situations. And, you know, he was there. And I'll never forget one time when it's the websites. You know, we all know, you know, being blind or partially blind, websites are a struggle. And I had to deal with another website and I was having a little mini breakdown, let's say. Randy was there and he said, okay, well, Liz, you have a real life situation. What are you going to do? How are you going to handle this? And it was that type of mentorship that where he would throw the responsibility back on me because at one point he's not going to be there. At one point it's going to be me. And I'm going to be honest with you, during times where I still continue to come across something challenging, you know, I'll hear his voice. How are you going to handle this? So it's that part of mentorship that guided me through the duration of not just the tech skills, but my life, getting my life back together on how to live and how to relive. So it wasn't just the tech part that he participated in. They were life skills, if you will, that I was able to learn or reconnect with, but mainly learn because being blind, I basically had to relearn everything. It's his perspective on life. There's another situation where I remember it was our last day working. And let me tell you, I worked this man hard. (laughs) I knew what I needed. I worked him. He accepted the challenge. And I think that's why we have a great relationship. At one point during the third hour, I don't know if his eyes were straining, don't know the situation. I'm assuming his eyes were straining, but he was very honest and said that he's probably going to go dark the rest of the day. Because Randy's partial. I don't remember the name of his disease, but at at some point he'll go dark. So he was letting me know that he was going to probably go dark the rest of the day. I went, oh my goodness, you know, I'm apologizing, thinking that I overstrained him. But you want to know what his response was, which was amazing. He said... That's okay. I get the best of both worlds. And there's another perspective that I take with me, and it's about the gratitude, what you have as opposed to what you don't have. 
So I've been very fortunate to be paired with Randy Owen with Society for the Blind. It was his, I'm going to tell you, his brilliant mind that carried me through work. Because of the proprietary applications that we have here at work, he never knew any of these, right? I mean, I mean, sure, he understood Microsoft Word and what other techie bring him apps that he stumbled upon in his lifetime, but he didn't know any of our applications. And so when he came here twice a week to work with me for about a year, he studied the applications. I would bring it up on the screen and he would study the applications, something he wasn't aware of. And then he taught me. I feel very fortunate that, you know, he had that, I'm telling you, he's brilliant, brilliant, that mentality to accept an assignment, if you will, and Again, there's that perseverance, and his goal was to fill my needs of getting back to work, and he did that. So if I'm successful, it is only because of Randy. I just want to thank him, and he's a good man. You're a good man, Randy Owen. And I want to thank Society for the Blind for your organization in Sacramento, California, in the United States. I want people to know more about Society for the Blind. Even though if you live in another state or another country, they have resources. So if you were to contact Society for the Blind via website or telephone, they can refer you. They can refer you to somewhere, someone. We are not meant to be alone. We're meant to help each other out. And this is a great organization. In fact, I consider myself part of their family. So they're never going to get rid of me. <laughs> you know, I'll touch base with them now and then and help them with their organization. And again, it's about raising the awareness of vision, you know, blindness and partial blindness, correct? Low, low vision. Yeah, low or, vision, low, vision loss. Low vision. Okay, so it's called low vision. It's partially sighted as well. Or partially yeah, sighted. Yeah, okay. there's all kinds of words. There's all kinds of words. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. And so it's about raising that awareness. And this organization can help out. And I want this organization known to the world, if you will. Society for the Blind is a nonprofit located in Sacramento, California. To contact them between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Pacific Time, Monday through Friday, call them at 916-452-8271. Or visit them online at Society for the Blind, all spelled out, Society for the Blind, Org. But now with that said, if you want more Liz and Randy, there's actually a PBS documentary coming out, which is interesting. So I think people are thinking the year 2020. People are thinking Vision 2020. So as it happens, a producer of PBS reached out to Society for the Blind in Sacramento, California, and he was given an assignment to do a 30-minute documentary on blindness. So with that said, the president of the board of Society for the Blind is part of this documentary. So it's a 30-minute documentary. I think she gets eight or 10 minutes, but she has been blind her entire life, and she has a guide dog. She's had guide dogs for most of her life. So the documentary is on her in regards to that. Then there's the Liz and Randy piece about how Liz and Randy work together. Again, me being once upon a time sighted two years ago, and then losing my sight and how he basically mentored me successfully back to my job. So I was able to retain my position as a trainer for this company. And then the third part was the person who was either born blind or she became blind around birth time and they restored her eyesight through medicine and technology. That's really cool. Isn't that, that is so cool. So this is a documentary that was filmed by PBS. It's going to air on April 15th. 
2020. We don't know the name of the title. The producer has not decided the title of the documentary. Locally in Sacramento, it's Channel 6 KVIE at 7 o'clock p.m. But with that said, during the day, it'll be ready to go via YouTube and PBS website. So that's a way we all should be able to watch. So I'll make sure that there's a link after the 15th. I'll come back and update the show notes. Make sure there's okay. a link to the documentary in the show notes, too, so you guys can all watch. It sounds like it's going to be a great documentary, especially with how it ends. I'm curious about the technology piece. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Right? Yeah. Mark, your DOR counselor's best friend, Mike May, had that happen to him. He had sight, then he had an accident in his garage and lost his sight when he was three years old. <gasps> Yeah, and then in his, I want to say, late 40s, he did some stem cell research, and he gained, he's still a high partial, he still uses a guide dog, but he got a lot of his colors and shapes and things back. Really? Yes, it was amazing to read his book, and I'll just do a quick plug for his book that he wrote a couple years ago called Crashing Through, and that's typically Mike's personality is just kind of like you where he did hold at one time the speed record for downhill skiing for somebody who was totally blind that's insane do you still find waking up on a daily basis living your life do you still have these moments where you're like oh crap this is hard no in fact i think wow this is easy now and it does get easier you guys it gets so much easier because you find a way. But at first, it was hard. Man, I had some bruises on me. I was bumping into everything. And thank goodness my father lived with me because he was picking up things. It was knocking things over. It was right behind me. Oh, I got it. I got this. Okay, I'll get it. You know what? At first, it was a little difficult. Oh, at first, it was hard. It was that adjustment. But no, I think I'm not saying everything's easy. It still takes me a little time to plug something into a socket. I got to plug something in. I still struggle with that, but it gets done. It gets a lot easier. The first time you plug something in and you have your fingers (laughs) on the prongs and you get shocked, you won't do it again. (laughs) Well, and the prongs are different and how the, what are they called? The platelets or the, yes, sometimes they're they're to the side or they're, they're polarized. Yeah. 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 They're up and down or vertical or horizontal. Right, right. So, but you know, you you learn how to figure it out. But I have to say, visually, I miss looking at flowers because I love flowers, the colors, the shape. I have to say, I miss it. But I don't miss it to the point of where I'm angry. I just feel grateful that I was able to see them once upon a time because I can visualize them in my head. Yep. And it's interesting when I dream, it's still in color. (laughs) Mine is too. Actually, yeah, yep. I do miss fashion magazines, but you know, you learn, you just learn how to move on. One thing I have to say, I'm reading more books. Ooh, that's uh, because I'm not watching. Yeah, oh my gosh, I'm reading more books because number one, I'm not watching that much TV, and two, using the Victor, man, I can knock off two books in one day if I wanted to. Nice. Yeah, but being that you know, I try to keep things balanced. I don't do that. I'll try to keep my life balanced. But other than that, it gets, it does get easier. It does. And again, I think I have to say I'm doing really well in my life because it's what I live with. I love people. I trust people. I mean, I'm not silly. I won't like walk around with cash in my hands. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. you know, here, I mean, I'm smart, 
but it's humanity kicked in. And I have to say that was the best lesson was learning how to become a human, if you will. It's about stopping and enjoying the flowers, knowing your neighbors. It's about enjoying life and your journey instead of just driving past it 90 miles an hour. You know, and you're not going anywhere when you're driving 90 miles an hour because you're missing your journey. And I was missing my journey. Like I said, I didn't even stop to get married and have kids. (laughs) I just kept going. Do you find, it's going to sound weird, do you find that it benefited you in the long run to lose your sight? I am going to say for me, yes. And I know that's a hard concept to accept for people because as much as I would like to have my sight back, I wouldn't trade it for what was given to me. It was like the universe said, we need to slow you down. And in order for us to do that, we're going to have to close your eyes and we're not going to let you open your eyes, but we're going to give you 10 doors that are going to fly open. And they did. 10 doors really flew open. And it has to do with that humanity piece, you know, love, trust, slowing down and enjoying the journey. And I wouldn't trade that. If I had a choice, I would not trade it. Now, what's interesting is when I was sighted, I would say, oh, no, keep my sight. Are you kidding? (laughs) But it was like the universe said, this is what we need to do. We're going to have to close your eyes right now. And that's what happened. And those are the benefits that came from that happening. So it's also learning to have gratitude. Instead of saying what I don't have, what do I have? And the doors were always there, right? It just opened up for me. Since I lost my sight, I was able to be aware of what I was missing. I'm just sitting with that a second because I want everybody listening to just drink that in and think about that for a second. Think about how it might apply to your own life. I want to go back to something I asked you before we... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I want to go back to something... I have to to wipe my tears. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah, You do that. (laughs) You can wipe mine, too. Yeah, totally, man. (laughs) I want to go back to something that I think demonstrates this point that Liz is making. Also, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you before we started the recording, I went through my questions, and one of them was, what pisses you off? And I loved your response. Oh, that my father? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know... And I have to say, nothing really pisses me off, but just a normal, even when, if I were sighted, my father drives me crazy. (laughs) He's a sweet 93-year-old man, but oh my gosh. And we live in a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment, so we have our own sides of the apartment. But oh my goodness, oh no. If I were sighted, it's just he's an older man, and I'm his daughter. Every time I leave, what time are you coming home? I'm not a baby. Yeah, that'll never <laughs> change, right. right? Yeah, that never changes. It, it, oh, my gosh. So sometimes he just angers me. There's some days maybe I don't want to see him. I see this man every single day. You know, if, if there was another entrance, I would take that other entrance just to get some peace and quiet. Because he's loud and he's obnoxious. <laughs> but other than that, nothing angers me. My life is good. It's stable. I think that might surprise some listeners to say, You don't have these days where it just pisses you off and you want to go back because sometimes you talk to people who have had something traumatic happen to them. And 10 years later, they're still sitting on the couch and they're still in denial and they're still deeply, deeply depressed every single day or they're still 
out there trying to do something, but they're inherently angry people. They're inherently bitter. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, and I get that because there was a part at the very beginning where all these emotions were coming out and anger was part of it. But I had to do some self-talk and, okay, there's nothing. I mean, the doctors, they've gone as far as they could go. I had to learn to accept that this is going to be my life. But let me tell you, just to circle back to that day, May 11th, when they told me that they've gone as far as they could go. I bawled my eyes out. I sat in their chair, the eye doctor chair, because I had to wait for another doctor to come in. And I, I bawled. I was crying like you would not believe. And I'm glad I let myself do that because I had to grieve. I had to grieve my loss. And at that point, I told myself, okay, you now know your path. It's going to be as a blind person. Because at the beginning, when I lost my sight, I didn't know what my path was, but I made myself get up and move. At this point, I found it fulfilling that, okay, you know your path now. It's going to be as a blind person. So get up, get going, get moving. So the ambiguity was gone in that sense. And I get the whole being angry, but at one point you have to grieve and let it go and live your life. And again, it's not always going to be easy, but even for sighted people or people who have all senses, it's never easy. They Nothing grieve is on ever things too, easy. right? Sure, everybody yeah. grieves something. Yeah, and I think sometimes when we get depressed, there's that downward spiral. Sure. Like, oh gosh, I've been doing this for years. How do I get up? And how do I? You know what I'm saying? There's that shame. Yeah. There's no oh, yeah. shame. There's no shame. Just get up and get going. That's it. And if you need help, call me. You know, I'll be your friend. It's that point. You know, maybe two years or ten years or twenty years. Who cares? You know what? Let's go. We still have life to live, you know, how many years, decades left that is granted to us. Let's go. Let's do it. However, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. It doesn't matter. Nothing's ever perfect. That's the best part of life, right? Yep. All these imperfections, they make life beautiful. You always have to have stuff to work on. Right. Do. Yeah, exactly. Liz, I would love to know what advice you have for someone who is in the transition period or for someone who just is having a lot of struggle dealing with their blindness, what would you say to them? So someone who's transitioning, I get this question quite a few times is what would I tell them? And I'm going to be honest with you. There's two steps. One, I'm not going to tell them anything. Number one, I'm going to listen to their story. I'm going to listen to them. I want them to talk to me. I want them to tell me their story. Because number one, it's going to validate matters for them and me, but it's more about them. They need to validate what happened, what's going on. That's what's important is that story. And I know that because that's what happened for me when I went to Society for the Blind and even Mark from Department of Rehab, they listened to my story and it validated matters. The second I would do, I would say, come with me. We're going to do this together. Because life is not meant to, we're not meant to be alone. We're meant to do this. We're meant to live life with others. And that is what I would do. Thank you for your visit to the Mystic Access Magic Castle. You're welcome anytime. Well, since we're all tearful now and got our inspiration for the day by listening to Liz's story, 
And please know that Liz's story is the exception, not the rule, on our podcast. We generally don't share these type of stories. But she inspired us so much just with her can-do attitude and her positivity. She's been amazing to work with. She's a real go-getter, as you probably figured out. We will link to the PBS show when we have the information. We really were excited to share Liz's story with you and let her share it in her own words. So thanks so much to Liz for coming on and sharing her story because we thought a lot of you would be very excited to hear her story. Thank you, everybody, and we shall see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. The preceding podcast is a presentation of Mystic Access, where the magic is in learning. If you are blind or visually impaired and desire to discover how our comprehensive products and services may support and empower your assistive technology journey, we welcome your visit at www.mysticaccess.com. Have a question or wish to place an order via phone? Call us at 716-543-3323. If you have something to share about this podcast episode, press 4 to reach our Mystic Access podcast comment line. Email us at info at mysticaccess.com. Connect with us on Twitter at twitter.com slash mysticaccess and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mysticaccessempower. Would you like to spread the word about our podcasts? Your friends and colleagues may listen and subscribe at www.mysticaccesspodcast.com. If you enjoy our episodes, consider leaving us an iTunes rating and review. Your comments are greatly appreciated. Thanks for spreading the word, and thanks for being a listener. We hope you enjoyed this episode.